Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. Remember, if you like this episode, think about who else you know who would like it and share it. It might even start the conversation that changes the course of your life. Scott Reeb is known as America's legal coach. He's the official Zig Ziglar small business lawyer, a Ziglar legacy certified trainer, and he has over 20 years of experience as an attorney. For the last two decades, Scott has been helping business owners, entrepreneurs, coaches, and service providers to shatterproof their businesses and succeed in the professional world. Scott is a firm believer that seeking legal advice doesn't have to be intimidating or expensive, and if we treat lawyers like primary care doctors instead of ER doctors, everyone's going to win. So his subscription-based business access plan legal services, Scott is making great strides in shifting towards that perspective. He is an awesome guest. He's very much in like the spirit of the E-Myth Revisited and systematizing and processifying your business, but he's looking at it from a legal perspective and rethinking how we provide legal services so that business owners are able to leave their legacy uh, by getting all that legal stuff out of the way. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. It's a, it's a very... Um, practical way of thinking about your business. He's given proven strategies. He, you know, asks some really vital questions. So I think there's a lot of really practical, tangible takeaways uh, in this episode. So I'd strongly advise that you give it a listen. Uh, I'm happy that you're here. Happy you keep coming back. And uh, I think this episode's going to be really worth your time. So thanks for listening. Here we go. All right, I'm here on Shareable with Scott Reeves. Scott, welcome to Shareable. Nice to have you, man. Hey Jeff, thanks for having me. Cool, cool. So uh, I like to start out by asking people a very intense question. Are you ready for an intense question? I am ready. What is the dent you are looking to make in the universe? And if, if you need to, I can explain it, but I think you get me. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm on a mission to help uh, business owners shatterproof their businesses, which means that they can grow a business and keep what they, you know, what they take home from that business. And the way I do that to make it... Uh, bigger than what I can do alone is I like to work with speakers, trainers, and coaches and help them build their, their dreams so that they can, I can then have an effect exponentially, uh, you know, across the planet. Uh, go one level deeper than that though. So I got that part. You want to do, that's who you want to work with, how you want to work with them. What is your ultimate hope that that, as far as a legacy that that leaves for you, the impact that you want to leave behind and what your life's purpose has meant touching these people, helping them in the way that you're helping them. What does that mean in terms of the lasting impact? Well, it means that their families will have, there'll be a legacy for their families that wouldn't be there if they didn't have the things that we do here uh, uh, at my law firm. There's protections and strategies and systems that we teach that no one else is teaching that allow them to live a life that they couldn't live without it and leave a legacy that they couldn't leave without it. Dig it. Okay, cool. So uh, that's the framing for this episode. That helps me to get an understanding of the impact that you want to make. Um, but I want to I kind of scale it back a little bit and just go with something really practical. I like to do what I 
what I call the shareables at the beginning of the episode. And this is just to give some very practical recommendations and things that are worth sharing to people that are listening. So uh, there's, I believe, four of them, if I'm, uh, if I'm recalling from memory properly, but I'm going to ask you just for four things that you're going to recommend, uh, and then that'll go in the show notes with everything. So uh, the first I like to ask, because I'm a big reader, is what is a book that you would recommend that everybody read? Uh, that's hard to limit it to just to, to just, just one, one, right? Yeah. But the the one that set me on my journey is the E Myth Revisited. Excellent. It, it, and it, you know what, that makes perfect sense given what the nature of your uh, topic and area of expertise is. It makes perfect sense that that would be a book. Have you read um, Systemology yet? By the way, I have. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I figured you would. All right. Cool. We have a lot of book to, books to talk about probably. All right, so uh, what's something that you've watched recently that you think other people should go and check out? It could be a YouTube video. It could be a documentary. It could be an online course. It could be anything that you've watched recently that you'd recommend. That's interesting. Wow. Um, I watch a lot of things that a lot of people wouldn't want to watch. Perfect. Uh, but uh, I watched a YouTube video recently from the uh, Harris Group actually on how to build – real estate empires in an asset protected way. Okay, excellent. I will, uh, if, if I can't find that, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna get it from you. I'm gonna get the link to that. Um, what's something that you've heard or listened to recently that you think people should listen to? This could be an audiobook, it could be a podcast episode, it could be the sound of your own voice uh, helping you get to sleep at night, whatever it is that, it could be a, <laughs> you know, a meditation, but something you've listened to, no eyes necessary. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm, Zig Ziglar is one of my mentors, um, and I listened to one of his uh, one of his presentations about a week ago, uh, based on his over the top book, and was just reminded how what he did in the seventies and eighties uh, is still so powerful today. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'll include a link to that. All right. And then the last one is kind of a, a real wild card question, but I'm curious something that you've learned about recently that you think it's interesting and interesting enough to share with somebody. I mean, we all have this thing where, you know, we have a thought and then we go, oh, and then we turn to Google or Wikipedia and we go to investigate a little further. Maybe sometimes we go deep down the rabbit hole, sometimes just the meaning of a word, but something that you've learned recently that you're like, huh, it'd be, I think I should share that and other people should know that. Yeah, and this isn't super deep, uh, but I think it's relevant to to the audience. Um, obviously, I'm a lawyer, and I have a law firm, uh, and I've struggled for the last 17 years with um, how am I? What? Who is the brand? Am I the brand, or is the is Reblaw the brand? And I've learned just recently that no matter if you're a small business doing less than 10 million, for instance, that you are the brand. People are still buying from the person that they know, like, and trust and knows cares about them. And so you have to build your personal brand first. You have to be willing to put yourself out there. And then the company launches off of your personal brand. Yeah. And that's good advice. I think, uh, do you have any uh, places where you'd recommend people go and learn a little bit more about personal brand or anything, anything that particularly stands out to you? It's okay if you don't have one, but if there's anything come off the top of your head. Well, uh, I mean, story brand stuff is very helpful in figuring out how to tell your yep. story about your brand. Um, you know, and I, I speak at a lot of different conferences where I learn more and more uh, every time I go uh, from the other speakers uh, about this kind of stuff. Um, 
I can't. I don't, a resource doesn't jump off the page at me right now. Oh, good. Uh, I think story brands are really good one to pass along. Really, for almost anything when you're in marketing or business. So I think it's an excellent one. All right, cool, man. Well, thank you for those shareables. Those will go in the show notes. Those are just some things that if if people stopped at this point in the episode, which you should not keep listening, but if they did, they would at least walk away with four really cool things that they could go and learn uh, and yeah. were worth sharing. So I want to talk about your story now. I want to talk uh, first of all about like what what where do you want to take today's conversation? What's something that you think is practical? or useful or something you can teach someone in the course of this conversation we're having together that they could walk away with and get some value with uh, and then it would be something that either is so interesting they could implement it themselves or they could share it with someone you know i guess two things uh one would be the power of recurring revenue uh and the the second would be um building relationship with professionals uh not just hiring professionals Got it. I, I am uh, definitely interested in uh, spending the bulk of our time on that second piece about building the relationships, not just hiring. Uh, and I think that the recurring revenue will definitely be a piece that we, we cover throughout that. So awesome. Let's um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, all superhero stories start at the beginning, which is the origin story. So uh, give us your quick background. Where where did you how did you get into this line of work? Why is this stuff important to you? Like, get, you know, I read your bio at the very beginning before we jumped on, but What's the important parts of your story that you think people need to see that give context to what we're going to talk about? Yeah, you know, I started my own law firm uh, in uh, February of 2005 and was doing litigation. If you wanted something litigated in court here in tech, North Texas, I would do it. I mean, I was I was, you know, I was desperate. I needed money, right? Uh, <laughs> so. I did, I, I did a whole lot of stuff and worked with a whole lot of small business owners that had trouble affording my services. Uh, and so they would make bad mistakes uh, that were simple. You know, I guess they were flipping a coin, Googling it, asking a friend, but they weren't asking me or any other lawyer. So they'd make a huge mistake. Uh, that could have, you know, they could have solved for a thousand dollars instead. It's an eighty thousand dollar mistake. I'd jump in. We'd so save them, uh, create a win, a win in court that cost them a lot of money, and then they're not really happy. And so they go away and do the same thing again. And I had a revelation in about 2011, 2012, that this model is just broken, and I've got to do something about it because they keep making these same mistakes. And it's costing them, some of them, everything. And so I hired my first business coach to help me build my vision for a subscription law firm where small business owners had on-demand access to the kind of legal services and information that you know, big companies have. And so that's where my journey started. Cool. Um, I'm always curious when I talk to attorneys. Actually, when I talk to really anybody, I'm always curious about kind of like where were the initial seeds that led you to that career path. You know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an author, leadership coach, did some stuff in social media. Like I, I had this hodgepodge of different stuff that I did. Yeah. And there's there's kind of a, a thread that connects it all together. Uh, people who I've met who are attorneys generally fall into a, a couple different categories of people. And, and one would be like, I'm just very argumentative and a stickler for like the rules and understanding like the boundaries of things. And I can yeah. argue that and debate that. Like that's a thing I enjoy, I'm into it. Uh, you don't really strike me as that person. Um, and and just based upon the story that you just told, there's an entrepreneurial element there. There's a willingness and an openness to hear other people's ideas and be coached, which I've met a lot of lawyers in my time. And that 
puts you in a smaller category than the category that um, knows everything. Um, so, you know, what, what, go back further for me and just, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but I am always curious to get to know people. Like, when did you know that you wanted to go into law? What made you think that that was a thing you might be interested in? How did you know you would even be good at it? Did you know you'd even be good at it? Like, what, tell me about that part. Yeah. So um, in college, I have a marketing degree. I wanted to be an advertising executive, graduated in 91, ready to set the world on fire. There it is. And there were no jobs. I mean, if you wanted to do marketing, it was selling copiers, uh, selling life insurance, which is nothing wrong with either of those. Uh, but that's not what I really wanted to do. But I ended up selling uh, phone systems for a major telecom company and was an authorized agent for them. So I had my own business and was doing very well. Uh, I was the aftermarket representative for this company in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and had found some things in their system that I could use to make mailbox money. And a new manager came in and said, hey, love what you're doing, Scott, but we're going to give that to a minimum wage person and give you another territory. And they sent me to southeast Oklahoma, where they didn't really even have phones back in 91. And I was, they breached my contract. Uh, and I, I didn't know what to do. So I went to see a lawyer that my, was a friend of my parents. And he's like, man, Scott, you're right. They've breached your contract, but it's this big company. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? I mean, you can't afford to go up against them. And I'm like, okay. So I did what any other sane human would do. I signed up to take the LSAT and go to law school. The, it, it really kind of drove me that I wanted to have a better understanding of, of uh, what surrounds entrepreneurs and how you build businesses from a legal perspective and be able to defend myself, basically, if I needed to. And so I ended up at OU uh, in, in the fall of 94, and here I am today. That is such an – I, I also love the um... – the sort of the the competitiveness there of like the like oh, I'm getting screwed over here. You know what? No, you know what? I'm gonna go take the LSAT and I'm gonna learn how this works. And one day you try that on me again, and I'm gonna know what I'm doing. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it never dawned on me that I might not be good at it. Oh, <laughs> I've got one of those personalities. Maybe it's a flaw uh, that I just assume I'm gonna be good at it until I'm not. You know, I, I, I will say that I think that the willingness to um, I think the other side of it is like if you have the willingness to actually be wrong about that and make the failure, I think that's where the real power comes in. I think uh, if you don't acknowledge the failure, then you're then that's probably a personality flaw. <laughs> but I think if you're willing to go into something and believe that you're going to do well in it and you have that kind of confidence and then you're willing to also acknowledge the losses and learn from it. Um, I, I think there's a there's a lot to admire there. And, and I think the. Uh, <laughs> that never having occurred that it that you wouldn't be good at it. I appreciate that. I do. Um, because in my story, I have a similar thing. Everything I went after, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a Hall of Famer or I'm going to be, you know, an Oscar winning director or they're going to fly me around the world to take these pictures or anything I wanted to do. It was always like it will revolutionize and change the world and I couldn't <laughs> possibly lose. And I yep. always did. But but I appreciate that. Um, all right. So so I get kind of where you started from and then what led to this point of understanding this. So I want to circle back in the thing that you had mentioned is like the, the topic of discussion for today, which is about building the relationship with your service providers and vendors and the people you're working with. And it sounds to me a little bit like the genesis of this was feeling like, um, well, especially in your story of, of being a litigator in North Texas, that you felt a little bit like you were just a, a box to be checked up, a, a, a 
invoice to be paid and not necessarily there throughout the process. So you wanted to rethink why that was. So talk to me a little bit about the, uh, I guess the frustration you may have sensed from your perspective as a provider and also maybe the frustration that you sensed that the client was turning to that flip of the coin rather than engaging you early and often to avoid all of that headache. Yeah, yeah my, again, my, my problem was and uh, my sense was that they didn't like me. Um, and that's just, it couldn't be my personality because I'm so likable. So it had to be something we were doing. I agree so far. <laughs> so we, and so I started looking at it and we we're doing a really good job with all the legal work we were doing. We were providing excellent service. So that wasn't it. So it, it had to be the model. And traditionally lawyers, you know, ask for a big retainer and then charge you by the hour and take away from that retainer and then ask you for more money. Uh, so we're tracking their time and, you know, every six minutes of an hour. Uh, and so when you call a lawyer that's billing you that way, money flies out of your pocket and small business owners didn't like that. And that made sense to me that they didn't like it, but I didn't, I didn't know how to fix it. Um, because no one else was doing anything different. Everyone else was just making them all pay by the hour. And so that's, I had this vision of people being able to just call me and ask me questions, not have to get billed for it. I didn't even really know what that was called at that point. Uh, I just had this vision that I started explaining to business coaches. And after I went through two or three, I finally found one that was like, oh yeah, I get that. That's a subscription model. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So common uh, now, but like yeah. at the time, maybe not. You know, and so they like they sent me a video of uh, the Dollar Shave Club, which was kind of was that news when that video was going viral, and I'm like, yeah, I want to do that, except for law for business law. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we can do that. Can you unpack for me a little bit the um, sort of the epiphany moment that led to the fact that the model that existed wasn't it, and the the if you can, because I think sometimes this is difficult because creativity can feel a little bit like um, sort of a black box of sorts. Can you try to unpack a little bit how you thought to creatively address that problem? You know, I don't know if I can really pinpoint that. I think it was a combination. Um, like, did of, somebody say something to you? They're like, hey, I would have called you, but like, I'm not willing to be paid every, you know, billed every six minutes. Like, how did, how did you know it was a problem? Just because... I, I mean, I'm old, so I've been doing this a long time. Okay. And so I had a lot of clients that were, it was obvious they they knew my phone number. I mean, they even had my cell phone number, and they were choosing to make the mistake on their own rather than risk having to pay money to me to solve the problem. Mm. And it just kept happening. I'd see this pattern of, and I, you know, why didn't you ask me? Well, you know, I didn't want it was going to cost money, but no one ever actually just came out to me and said, Hey, Scott, if you change your model, we would call you more. It just, I kind of started piecing it together. And then I think selfishly, I kind of wanted out of litigation. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a grind. Yeah. Uh, you're not successful unless you make someone mad that day. Really. It's all about, it's all about the fight. And, um, going into my forties, I didn't really want to continue that being all that I did. Yeah. Um, now it's less than 1% of what I do and uh, probably won't ever try another case again. But it's at that point, I think 
the, the two kind of came together of, hey, the clients don't like this model. I think I'd be happier with another model. How, how do I do that? Yeah. And I just want to point out something, and, and it's, it's particularly present for me because I'm reading a book called The Creativity Code right now. And it's mm-hmm. talking a lot about creativity and artificial intelligence and where those two things overlap. But in the context of the book, he talks a little bit about um, how it's difficult to be creative unless you have a basis of understanding, unless you know enough about it. So in your in your sort of uh, half joking way of saying I'm old, I've been doing this a while, there is a, a lot to be said about not being able to recognize a pattern until you've seen it enough times. Um, so I, I do just want to call out that that is the sort of thing where like we sometimes expect that, you know, there is a beginner's luck element to things sometimes, but to actually be creative and find these solutions uh, sometimes does take the repetition. So I just want to call that out. So, okay, the, the, the model sounds brilliant to me, obviously, because I always think about the meter running every time I would call an attorney. Um, so I, and I love subscription models for that sort of like all you can eat sort of service where it's protecting you and helping you grow. So I'm hundred percent into that. What then changes in, in the, uh, relationship between you and your clients and what does that enable? Like, how does that transform what they're capable of actually being able to do if they're not watching the clock? Yeah. And it, it's, it's a game changer and it really was a bigger game changer than I saw coming because what happens is we do monthly check-in calls with our clients and I'll spend 30 minutes on the phone with a client and I'll get off and we will have talked about nothing legal. I mean, we're talking about what's happening with their kids, you know, the vacation home that they are looking at, uh, the vacation they just went on or a struggle they're having. And I'm now having these conversations, these deep personal conversations with my clients that they would never have had when they were paying me for my time. Oh, absolutely uh, not. Yeah. Right. I just, can so we just that, pause on that moment for that, sure. that for just yeah. a second, that that is so, if you are out there listening and you have an attorney, just imagine spending four minutes of the time that you're speaking with them, talking about your life, your kids, your anything. Now, my situation is different. I love my attorney of death. We've been friends for like 15 years or something, but that's an uncommon situation. And I think given your model, it's even more uncommon uh, for, for, you know, for people to even think about a, a situation like that. So I just need to pause and call that out because that is truly different to spend even time building a relationship with your attorney, which I would imagine when you know more about the people that you're working with and what's going on in their lives and what their ambitions are, which they wouldn't take the time to tell you about necessarily if they're paying you by the minute, right? But every six minutes, you probably can better serve them, I'd imagine. And another analogy, and I, I keep going to medicine with analogies, but if you go to your doctor, the more you tell them about your, your lifestyle, what you eat, type of exercise you do, how you're feeling, your aches and pains, uh, the more they can help you. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with what I do. The more I know about how you're living your life, your hopes and your dreams, the little things that you're doing, the way you buy cars, the way you do business with people, I can spot things that, Hey, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that that way anymore. Let's do this, right? Small hinges, swing big doors. But I only see those things when you tell me, and yeah. most legal clients are only telling their lawyers something that's happened that's caused them a problem. There's a pain point here, solve this for me, which we're, lawyers are trained to do. Yeah. Um, but we're also trained to spot issues if we can hear them or see them. And so that's why we have the check-in calls and 
it it just it it really was a game changer. Yeah, when I think you know, I and and on the one hand, I'll just look at this because you're an attorney looking at it through the lens of you know a relationship with your attorney. But take your accountant, take anybody else. If you have an ongoing conversation with them, regular check-in calls. To your point, it's not just hey, this thing's on fire, can you put it out? But it's also here's what's going on. You have the opportunity to assess and identify potential liabilities or, or opportunities for you know. Uh, reducing risk. But at the same time, you also have the opportunity to look for new opportunities and contribute in a positive way, not just a a protective way, but also a potential, hey, here's an opportunity because you can see what they're trying to do and open up an opportunity to get ahead of things. I'm curious in your way of working, you know, you have a subscription business um, and this may not work for you, but I, I promise I know where I'm going with this. Does the, it, let's say you're having your monthly calls with uh, one of your clients and you identify that they need like three new types of contracts, let's say. Um, is that all included in the way that you work? Or is it the sort of thing where as you identify things, there's additional scopes of work depending upon what it is that they need or have the budget for? Occasionally, there's different scopes of work. But generally speaking, my job is to uncover projects like that. Like, hey, let's create this new document. Let's review this. Hey, send that contract to me so we can tweak it. Uh, those are included. Uh, if during the conversation it's like, hey, we want to buy this business over here, that's a that's a different yeah. non-included thing. But contract reviews, creating contracts, um, those things are all included in all our packages. That makes perfect sense. So what I was going to say, the thing I was going to lead to, is that I think also having this relationship opens up business development opportunities for you. Because as you're having those conversations, one – uh, and, and actually, as, as well, a, a customer experience, customer service uh, portion of it, which is that if you're having these regular conversations, you know, as somebody who's worked in agencies and has worked as a consultant, there are sometimes months that go by with a client. You're like, I don't really know what I can do for this client right now. They, I don't know what they're working on. I don't know what their priorities are. But if you're checking in regularly, one, you can set aside your own scope of work by checking in with them, the things that are within scope. But then additionally, you have the opportunity to open up new lines of potential business. So having that relationship from your standpoint helps to potentially increase revenue over year over year, but at the same time also helps you to serve that client better on an ongoing basis and use what they're paying you for. And for the client, they get to get ahead of some of these things and make sure things stay on track. So I see no problems with this, and I think this is a really good idea that you've come up with. Thank you. <laughs> um, where else do you think that this goes, though? So, I mean, I think... So far, we've we've got a pretty airtight case here that you've you've come up with a good strategy. I think that this is pretty broadly applicable to other service providers, such as accountants. Um, you know, if you have a managerial like bookkeeper, things like that. So, anything that you're paying that you are using on a regular basis, or that would be helpful to probably talk to that person more, seems like this would be a good model. What else have I missed in? Why this is a good model, uh, and really how people listening should think of this either as uh, their own business model shifting and adjusting or how they may work with certain types of professionals. What have I missed so far? Well, I think a, one component we haven't talked about is just the budgeting factor of it. If you have a relationship with a professional and you've already figured out in advance how much it's going to cost you, uh, let's just say a year at a time even, then it's very easy to plug that into your budgeting so that you can then plan your your business around it is already a set expense. It's a, you know, it's a line item that's just going to happen. And I think that's important because if you're dealing with professionals um, on a transaction basis, you have no idea what that's going to cost 
uh, until you get to, you give them the problem and then they give you the cost for the solution. If you've prepackaged that number, then it makes it much easier for you to take advantage of those of that that professional relationship. And so I think the budgeting is, is a huge part of that. The flip of that is if you're a service provider, you build a budget, the revenue side of it, because you know what's going to come in every month is huge. When, I mean, in 2014, I had a huge problem with my law firm and lost and went from six full-time people here down to me in a matter of a month. Uh, the great news was my payroll was gone, but my recurring revenue was still there. Mm. And so I, it, I had a problem, uh, but I was able to fix that problem uh, over some time uh, and build the team back up. But I didn't, I suddenly, I didn't have to worry about how do I turn the lights on? How do I pay rent? That was already there. I could count on it. And so by adding a, you know, even a bolt on to your business, that's a recurring revenue model, a subscription um, can be a game changer uh, psychologically for the entrepreneur, because now, you know, when the end of the month comes, you don't have to worry about every dollar that you're going to generate. You have a certain amount that's certain and that really helps you um, for lack of a better word, just be more entrepreneurial, go out there and take some more risks because you have some certainty in your income budget. I love it. I knew we'd come back around to that recurring revenue piece. I knew we'd find our way back here. Yeah. All right, man. Well, um, I, I think all of this makes perfect sense. Um, if, if you want to like, um, right now kind of do, do the, do the listener a favor here, right? So we've talked through a bunch of different things. We've talked through kind of provider side relationship, uh, the customer side, what would you say is the key, clear, single takeaway that you want people to walk away from this episode? They're able to say, this is the one thing that I am able to think about and walk away from this with. Yeah, stop looking at your lawyers, your accountants uh, as emergency rooms. Look at them as primary care and that you need to have a relationship with them that is, is regular, steady, uh, and the, so there's someone that you know, like, and trust wants to spend time with. If you'll do that, you'll get much better. Uh, you'll get much better services from them uh, because they actually fit with what you're trying to do with your business and your life. And if they're currently not offering a model that's like yours, do you have uh, resources or do you teach a course or do you have any sort of ways that you would encourage other attorneys or accountants or whatever to start thinking about that? Would you direct them to read the e-myth? Would you just encourage they get curious about it? Would you tell people to send them to you? Like how would you say that next step goes if they start that conversation and their, their accountant or attorney is like, yeah, no, just call me when you need me. Yeah, so if they if they say that and that's the end of it, then just keep moving on. If if they're intrigued by the idea, then you could send them to uh, nextlevellegalcoaching.com, uh, which is my coaching site to teach people how to build uh, subscription models. And through that site, I can help them, uh, which however they want to do it, but that's the site to start. Um, or uh, then just contact me, reach out to me, and I can figure out either how to find a professional that does work this way for you. Um, and get you, you know, connected. My website is reblaw.com, R-E-I-B-L-A-W.com. And actually, if you'll add a forward slash to that and, and put shareable, uh, we have a landing page just for you the, for listening to this show where you can actually book 20 minutes with me for free uh, and download my uh, Make, Make Life Simple book uh, 
right there on that page. That's awesome. And total fun fact here. Uh, and this, for listeners, I just want you to know, like, I just asked you that question, Scott, I literally had no idea that you had an actual course or anything like that. I actually was just curious, like, what should someone do if their attorney's like, yeah, I don't do that. Uh, so that was not a planted question. That was not a leading question. I swear. I actually was just really curious whether or not you had that. And thankfully you were ready for that. So kudos to you, man. Um, all right. So we're, we're at the end of the episode. I've got my clear takeaways. We've got our shareables. We've talked through your origin story and, and gotten us up to, to the present day. And you've, you've given people some places where they can connect with you and they can, um, they can learn more about you. So I like to close out every episode with gratitude. Uh, and I think that that's someone, uh, something that, you know, if you're a, a student of the Zig Ziglar lifestyle, then I'm sure gratitude is something that you're uh, very familiar with. So I, I, at this point in the show, what I like to do is I want you to think about, uh, I'm going to say, uh, a word or a phrase, and I want you to think about someone. I want you to picture the first person that comes to your head. So when I say lovable leader, I want you to think about who comes to mind. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to mute myself and I want you to speak directly to them through the mic, out into the world, out into the universe for them to hopefully listen and hear. And I just want you to say whatever sort of gratitude or thanks you have for them being a lovable leader in your life. It could be as simple as like, hey, Joe, thanks. You're the best. Or it could be anything that you want to go deep into. Uh, so this is your point in the show to show and express some gratitude to a lovable leader in your life. And that's where we're going to end the show. Um, I'm going to go back to Ziegler, uh, Tom Ziegler, uh, who is my friend, the son of Zig Ziegler, uh, is, I mean, he is that level of a leader and has been someone in my life, uh, since 2014, uh, that has shown me how to be a servant leader has poured into me, uh, in my business and then given me opportunities, uh, in the world. Uh, so Tom, I thank you for, uh, being, being that leader that you are and being open to new ideas uh, and to uh, new relationships and for everything that you've done for me and my family. I want to thank my guests for coming on to Shareable to share their experience and their wisdom. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for coming back and giving us the gift of your attention. There are two questions that everyone asks themselves before sharing a piece of content. One, what does sharing this content say about me? And two, will my friends, peers, or colleagues enjoy it? Think about those questions, and if you like the answer, please consider sharing this episode on your social media or send it to someone you think would enjoy it. Remember that together, we can change the world. It starts with what we give our attention to, what we share and spread, and what we collectively work toward. Now, more than ever, we need leaders who care, who work to build trust, and who stand for creating safety. I believe that is the key to creating a kinder, safer, and more equitable world. And if you ask me, that's an idea worth sharing. So between that and the generosity of my amazing guest, I guess the best way to describe this episode would be shareable. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message using the link in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Don't miss out on my other podcast, Becoming Superhuman, which is also available as an email newsletter. Get it all at jgibbard.com. If you're looking for a book to read, may I kindly suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. Available online wherever books are sold. And finally, if you're interested in working with me, whether it's hiring me to speak or train your organization or strategic consulting and coaching, all of that information can be found at jgibbard.com. All links can be found at the bottom of the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, 
and please share this episode with someone who will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.